Today I want to start our, our Advent series. And uh, by the way, my name is Pastor John Hubert, if you're new here. And I'm glad that you're here today. You picked a great Sunday to be here. Uh, we are starting our Advent series. And uh, Advent season, Christmas season is a favorite for many people. They consider this our, the favorite part. Some people like it for uh, uh, maybe the Hallmark movies, if you're into that. Um, there are a lot of Hallmark movies, okay? Um, there are a lot of everything about Christmas, and everything around you is about Christmas, and people are talking about it, and it's there. Maybe it's the presents, maybe it's the food, maybe it's whatever it is, but, but I think that the most important thing, obviously, is the fact that it celebrates the birth of Christ. And so what we want to talk about this week is use the four themes of Advent, and uh, like we do every year, and we're going to be going through uh, joy, peace, love, and hope, and talking about them as the gifts of Christmas. These are the gifts that we receive because of Christmas. Now, not a gift that la- you open up one day, break the next day, and throw away the third day, okay? This is not that kind of gift. This is a gift that is eternal. These are gifts that you have for the rest of your life and into eternity. And so we just want to celebrate those things today. And uh, so today we want to talk about joy. Earlier we sang the song, Joy to the World. And in Luke 2, 9 through 10, there's a verse that says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So what we want to talk today about is what is that joy that we can have because Christ came. The angels came and they said, you will have joy and it'll be for all the people. It wasn't just saying, you shepherds, because you get to go to the manger, you get to be a part of the joy. You say, no, the joy is for all people. And there's a lot of us, I think, that we are in need of joy. People in this world are in need of joy. Something that is tangible, something that is not just based on a circumstance or, or something that maybe a little bit makes you laugh a little bit, makes you feel a little happy, but something that you can grasp onto. And Peter, in the verses we're going to talk about in First Peter, he's going to be talking to a group of people that are exiled. They've been kind of kicked out of their homeland. They're under persecution because they're the new people. And they're not feeling a part of this. And they're saved. They believe in God. But they're struggling with finding joy. They're fr- struggling with um, persecution and things coming upon them. They were thought of as disloyal because they were Christians. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel like somebody has told you, hey, you're a Christian, you don't fit in. But you know what? Peter wants to remind them today that there is great joy in being a Christian. There may be persecution, he's saying. There may be these other things, but the joy that comes of it is greater than anything that will ever happen. Now, the whole passage I'm going to read today uh, makes me laugh for a couple things. First of all, it is verses 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. Okay? If you count up the verses, that's a lot of verses. And it's one sentence. Did you ever have a teacher write run-on in your thing? Run-on sentence, John. Okay, this is one long sentence. When I read this to you, remember in Greek, if you look at this, this is one sentence. Now, just so you know, this is an okay to write, way to write in Greek, but don't try to write this in your English paper. Don't try to turn something in with this long of a sentence. and have your, You're not going to impress anybody. The other thing is it doesn't give any imperatives. 
It doesn't give a command. It doesn't say, do, do this. It says, here's who we are. Here's what we have because of Christ. And it's, it's vital that we understand that it's what Christ is doing for us, not what we are doing. So a lot of times we think, we will have this if we do this, and here are the commands to do it. Now, there are many times in the Bible it tells us what we're supposed to do. It's gonna, in this, it's going to imply that we're supposed to have faith, that we're supposed to uh, count it joy, things like that. But it's not going to say, you must do this to achieve this. There's no self-help video here. There's no late-night self-help video where you sign up for three sessions and you get everything you want. This is the joy of the Lord that comes from God. So, first of all, we need to understand what is joy. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a definition that I, that I found from somebody it's, it's a both individual, the believer, and corporately of the church. It is a quality and simply, and not simply an emotion, grounded upon God himself and indeed derived from him. Realize this, it is a quality, sim- not simply an emotion. I think a lot of people think joy is just an emotion. But this is a quality that we live in, which characterizes the Christian's life on earth and also points to our future in heaven with Christ forever. This is something that everyone who is a Christian can have and should have, and the reason that Christ came to earth is to give us this joy. So let's look at this one sentence, and let's read it. First Peter uh, verse, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring that what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The things that have been now been announced to you through the, those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That is one long sentence. Now you see in our English translations, we, have to, we break it up into sentences because it wouldn't make any sense to us. I would love to have it just like let it fly. I should have retranslated it just as one long crazy <laughs> sentence. Um, but it, it's just, he, what we need to understand though is the way he wrote it, he's kind of going on. And he just gets going and going and going and he says, I'm just going to keep going. This whole so- thought is going to keep going and it's all based on the joy that we have in Christ. The gladness that we can have because of Christ. The joy that the angels proclaimed, he is saying now, 
here's what it is. First of all, we have joy for our salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says in verse 3. And according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You see, salvation was the theme in verses 1 through 2. And he is continuing it here. Peter has experienced his own trials. He's doing 37 years of ministry after Christ died and rose again. And many of us may feel like Peter. We need to understand this. Things have not gone the way they planned for Peter. You see, many, including Peter, had put all their hopes in Jesus to see him, just to see him crucified. It was a dark weekend for them, but then came the resurrection. What he's trying to say is, your world may seem dark, and he says, I understand it. You have no idea. I can't imagine what the disciples felt that weekend. Although they were trying in their faith to say that Christ is going to rise from the dead, it must have been one of the darkest weekends from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. And he is saying, I, blessed be to God, and bless God because on that day there was a resurrection. And the joy that we felt in that resurrection is what causes us today to be saved and what causes you to be saved today. That you have salvation. That you are not on your own just having to justify yourself in this world. You are saved. And it says, according to his great mercy, he has done it. I love that. According to his great mercy. We are so badly in need of mercy. Because there's not one of us who feels worthy of salvation or should feel worthy of salvation. But he is saying here that everyone who is saved is saved because God showed mercy to us. He said from the very beginning when, when Adam and Eve sinned that he had a plan that he put in motion. And that plan was going to come from a woman. And that woman was going to give birth to Jesus. And that Jesus was going to die on the cross and was going to save us. And from the very beginning, he had a plan of salvation for us, although none of us deserved it. There, I mean, so many times in this world, we want to just say, forget that person. They're lost. They're worthless. They're never going to make anything over themselves. Maybe people have said that about you. God never says that about anybody. Jesus Christ never said that about anybody. He came to earth as a baby. He lived. He died because he believes in every single person here and wants to save anyone who will accept him. He believes and he cares about you that much. That's his mercy. It's not that he looked up in heaven and said, boy, those people in Bemidji, they deserve it. I mean, the rest of the world, I mean, Brainerd, they don't. But Bemidji, they deserve it. No, he looks and he says, all of us need mercy. All of us need it. And I know I do. When I think of the, the joy that I have of salvation, the fact that someone came and preached to me, if someone came and brought uh, salvation and Jesus came, was the point, it, it just overcomes me with joy and gladness that I have that privilege to have that. Because of the resurrection, our hope and our perspective of all our earthly troubles changes. Because of what God accomplished on that day, we have a bright present and a bright future. Because Jesus defeated the ultimate enemy, and that is death. So if he is alive, if he was resurrected from the dead, and he lives, then we do not need to fear death. The number one thing that causes people anxiety 
that causes people to lose their joy, the threat of death has been taken away by Jesus. And the other thing, I think, if he is capable of being raised from the dead, I find that pretty amazing. Anybody who can be raised from the dead, I think I can trust him to handle my problems in my life. I'm just saying, what have you done, Jesus? Well, the whole raised from the dead thing. And you want to say, okay, I, I think you can pull it off. I think you can pull this off. There's nothing in your life. Is anything in your life bigger than raising from the dead after three days in the ground? No. I can't think of anything. So then you can trust him and understand that you, not only are your sins forgiven, but you are saved in this life. Notice that he caused us. No one can take credit for being saved. I'm so thankful that Jesus came down. And I, I notice this note. He caused us to be saved, and this is the equivalent of what's called a spiritual birth. And he, he, I read this in one book. It says, just like you can't take credit for your own birth, you can't take credit for your spiritual birth. You didn't, you had nothing to do with your own birth. Okay, some people may think that they did, or, you know, I, I, I remember um, one of my kids used to say that he could remember when he was born. Um, I think he was just kind of playing with us, and it's like, no, you can't. I think I can. No, okay, you don't remember that. You didn't really do anything. You weren't the, you weren't the big, you know, you were the big show there. Everybody was excited to see you, but you didn't do anything. All right? And think about that with your salvation. Yes, we have to accept Jesus to be saved, but he is the one who came to earth. He is the one that, that died on the cross. He is the one that rose from the dead. He is the one who sent his spirit to convict us of our sin. He is the one who sent a pastor, a preacher, somebody to come and preach the gospel to us so that we could receive salvation. He is the one who did all of that. All we did was say yes and receive. So he caused us to be born again. The new birth happened to us. Um, Peter experienced his new birth approximately 37 years before and still saw it as a great reason for rejoicing in God. Think about this. Remember, this sentence is just Peter gushing. Okay, so he's talking about something that happened 37 years earlier. Can you think of anything that happened 37 years ago you still gush about? I, I, I'm just trying to think of, well, yeah, let's see, that would have been, <laughs> that in my head, for some of you, 37 years ago, you don't know, so, okay, but you think about it, it's like, well, maybe it's a good memory, but to him, it's like, that was so amazing, and I'm saved 37 years, and I, I think that that's what tells us that this is a living, wonderful thing that he had. The number one thing that comes in the resurrection of Christ, and it would be enough to say that it was wonderful, and is the key to all the benefits that, that Peter describes is the joy and the blessedness we receive and the salvation. But then he says that we have joy for our living hope. If you look at it, he, can't, he's gone, he, said, he goes on, he says, we are born again to a living hope, in verse 3, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are saved to a living hope. That is what we are saved into. Expectations of the goodness of things coming tomorrow. The best days are still coming. Okay? Some of us may feel like we're getting old. Okay? Every time I, I do a physical activity and I'm near people that are 20, I say, I feel like I'm old. And I know that the people next to me that are 70 say, speak for yourself. 
okay? So it goes on, and we can feel like, well, maybe the best days are ahead of us. May, you know, we long back, we look back, and we say, oh, wasn't it great in the 60s, the 70s, the 50s, the 80s, 90s, 2010s, whatever. Those were the great days. But you know what? In Christ, we have a living hope, which means the best is yet to come, and it's going to get better. Now, that is, does that mean everything in life is going to go perfect? No, it means that we have hope in everything. And we have ultimately eternal hope, which is in salvation and in our eternal salvation in heaven. If you lose hope, your spirit dies. Now, I'm going to give you a contrary point of view here. I'm going to give you from one of the greatest philosophers, Bertrand Russell. I'm going to give you his understanding of how to live your life, and then we'll contrast it with Peter's. Bertrand Russell says, The life of a man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none can tarry long. If you just want to say amen in the middle of this, this is amazing. <laughs> one by one, as they march, our comrades vanish from our sight, seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death, brief and powerless is, powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark, blind to good and evil, reckless of, destru reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on to its relentless way for man condemned today to lose his dearest tomorrow himself to pass through the gate of darkness it remains only to cherish ere yet the blow falls the lofty thoughts that ennoble his little day <sighs> it touched my heart i read this and i thought to myself this is the hope that outside of christ is offered and bertrand russell i appreciate the fact that he is very honest so this is your hope. You just march through your worthless, pathetic life and nothing's good about it and then you die. <laughs> so he did sell, sell a lot of books, just for the record. Um, <laughs> but humanity has no hope according to him. And left to ourselves, he's right. See, left to ourselves, if we just do it on our own, if we don't have the joy of Christ, if Christ had not come to earth, if he had not brought his joy, the, he is 100% right. Because outside of Christ, there is no hope. There is no joy. Okay, there is nothing outside of him. Because this is the best that we can do, and he's 100% right. But why the living, why, he says this is a living hope that is assured by the resurrection of Christ because Christ is alive, our hope is alive. We serve a living Savior, thus we have living hope. We don't serve a leader that we can go visit his tomb. We serve a Christ that rose from the dead. To an inheritance, our hope is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So many of these people that he's writing to had to give up their earthly inheritance. Some of them had to give up their jobs. They had to give up their life. They've been put into exile by the fact of their faith. And what he is saying is your inheritance your pension that you thought that you had, the union you thought you were part of, everything you thought you had in this life, the real inheritance that you have is the new heaven and the new earth. You see, in the Old Testament, when it talked about inheritance, it talked about land. We usually don't do this today, but that was kind of an old-style thing. Your inheritance from your family was the fact that you received land. And he's using that same principle here. And in 2 Peter 3.13, it tells us what the land that we are going to inherit. That is... But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
In other words, we have a living hope for today, but we have a living hope that someday we will be in the new heavens and the new earth and we will inherit the new land. We have hope in Christ. And this is imperishable. In other words, it's not going to be subject to destruction. It's not going to be lost or fade. So will our bodies in heaven. Thank God for that. We'll have the bodies that we don't have to worry about these things. Undefiled, not defiled from the outside, cannot be taken. Will never break or lose its, its vitality, luster, or beauty. Unfading. Flowers fade, things fade, hair falls out. Uh, <laughs> for guys, hopefully. Uh, lose their luster. But you know what? The Bible says that our inheritance that we have in heaven will never fail. We will never fail. The guarantee is it is kept in heaven, and this is what is a passive known as a divine passive, which means that God himself is holding on to it, and nobody can take it out of his hand. You say, well, I might lose my inheritance. I might lose this. I might do something wrong. It's all kept by God in heaven. And it says it's guarded by God to be revealed in the last day. And again, he he emphasizes again, the only thing we have to do is have faith in Christ. And this faith is a continuing trust in the faithfulness of God. We just continue to trust in Him and know that He has a living hope and an inheritance for us in heaven. We are saved now and continually for the future. All blessing is based on the final salvation that it says in verse 5, that we are finally saved when we get to heaven. And I like the fact that it's not like our inheritance or retirement plan here. This morning I, I got up early and I was searching for how to, how to protect your retirement plan. And what happens if the stock market goes crazy? Tell you what, there's opinions everywhere. Everybody's worried about it. What if we have another you know, stock market go down? What if I lose my inheritance? What if our union does this? What if this? Our inheritance is not 100% sure. We don't have everything on this, on this life, but we have 100% sure that our inheritance in Christ is forever. And it's not just for today and not just for the future. We rejoice now in our salvation and gladness in earlier verses and also what God is doing in our next section when it says that we're supposed to have joy in our trials. And you think to yourself, okay, I was with you on the first two. Um, You said salvation. I love salvation. That's awesome. I love living hope. Mm. Well... He said, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You see, joy is not the same as worldly happiness. Worldly happiness is a surface thing. But joy is deep down inside. It's something that is inside of us. It is not about our immediate circumstances. It is about deep realities of life. And it comes from belief in God who is in charge and will make everything turn out right. We can rejoice in our trials. Now what's going on right here is that they are receiving persecution. They're having people, like I said, in this time period, if you become a Christian, you lose your job. You just lose your job. Your family turns their back on you and says you're no longer part of the family. We, I, I saw, I've seen this in countries that I've traveled to. When in our mission trip, if they accept Christ, they have lost everything. They're poor. They lose it all. And he says, and not only that, they're being impugned for their faith. They're, people are talking bad about them behind their back. They're saying, you think, you, maybe they're saying, you think you're better than us, or what's the problem with this? 
Why don't you want to be part of the community and be with everybody else? Kind of many of the things we hear. And he is saying to them, all of this is a reason to rejoice. And you think to yourself, okay, I need more for this. Think about the things in your life that have been hard. Okay, whatever train, I was thinking of training things. Maybe you went to school for something. And sometimes, I have to admit it, even as a teacher, school gets really long. All right? You just want to say, nah, I'm done. All right? Maybe that was third grade for some of us, but you know, it, 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 you just want to say, it, I'm done. It's too hard. Okay? They took our crackers and milk away. That, that was the last straw. And, but school is a training. Okay? Whether you went to school to be a, uh, uh, a doctor or school to be a machinist or, you know, things like that, the training that you go through, it's hard. But when you're done with it, you're trained to do something and you have something new that you didn't have before. Think about the training that comes through, like physical training. Nobody likes that. I mean, there are some people that do. I know there's some people that really get, okay. But for the most part, physical training is good when it's over. <laughs> All right? The feeling that you have after it's done and now how it makes your body feel. But when you're in the middle of physical training, when you're lifting weights or on that elliptical machine, you're trying to walk or run or whatever, you're like, ah, is it done? <laughs> Come on. Okay, just keep going. But when you're done and your body starts to have, all of a sudden you go to the doctor. I remember when I went to the doctor and I lost some weight, and all of a sudden they showed me all the numbers that dropped. And that was a great feeling. But doing it, not a good feeling. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. No, not as much fun. But having, he's saying, what's going to happen in this is the pain today for a future blessing, you're saving for something in the future. Rejoice in your trials, because in your trials, God is not giving you these trials, but what God does is he takes them and he tests the genuineness of your faith, it says in verse 7, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. In other words, God says, you know what? They want to persecute you. You know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to make you better. I'm going to make you even a better Christian. I'm going to make you more in tune with God. I'm going to give you more hope. I'm going to give you more joy because of this. I'm going to have you, your faith become stronger because of this. And he uses this whole thing about how that does and refines us and makes us wow. And then he also says, for a little while. You need to understand that this is only for a little while. Sometimes persecution may seem like it's forever, but it's only for a little while. For some people, they never get to escape persecution. We haven't had that happen in our country, but it may happen. But you have to put it into perspective. For a little while, you're persecuted, but if you spend your whole life being persecuted, you end up being killed for your faith, you get to spend eternity with Christ. What he's trying to say is, put it in perspective. A little bit here for a lot is a good deal. It refines our faith and shows it to be genuine. This illustration that I like talks about the fact that if you take a $5 bar of steel, basically you have a $5 bar of steel. If we went to Bemidji Steel and asked them for a $5 bar of steel. But if you take that same bar and you bend it into horseshoes, then it's worth $10. All right, that's impressive. We doubled our money. We did a lot of work for that. But if you make it into needles, it's worth $350. If you make it into delicate springs for expensive watches, that $5 bar of steel is worth $250,000.
It all depends on what you want to do with that bar of steel. The original bar is more valuable by being cut to its proper size, passed through the heat again and again, hammered, manipulated, beaten, punished, finished, and polished until it's ready for a delicate task. Now you may say, I identify with every one of those things, but you're worth more now than you ever have been before. You have gone through things, but God has brought you through, made you better, because he is capable of doing that. So rejoice in your trials. Again, he says, for your future salvation. And you, though you did not see him, you believe in him now and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You express joy today while you are going through your tri- trials because you know that God is doing something great in your life and someday we're going to see him face to face. We can have joy. Have you ever anticipated something? Have you ever had maybe just a great event that's coming up, a big vacation or something? You can have joy before the event actually happens. Okay? It doesn't have to be. We can have joy knowing that someday we're going to see Christ face to face. We can have joy now. We can have joy knowing that in the future we're going to have what he has done in our life is going to make us better. We have joy now because what God is doing and what we do in the future. The last one really comes down to Christmas time, is we have joy in our privilege. And I'm just going to read these verses again, 10, 11, and 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have been now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, this Christmas, we celebrate the fact that we saw what Isaiah prophesied about. We see what Micah wanted to see. We see what Moses wanted to see. We see what all the prophets, what all the Old Testament, what they were saying, when are you coming? When is it going to happen? When is this going to happen? We have the privilege of seeing the end result. Okay? We have the privilege of seeing what they didn't get to see. And we should have joy in this and understand that they're happy for us. Okay? They're not in heaven going, man, I missed out. They're happy too, don't get me wrong. But they are saying, you're seeing what we hope to see. It's a privilege for you to see it. You know, I think a lot of times we think of just, uh, of this is envy and uh, somebody else having a good thing happen, but this isn't what it's talking about. The prophets who wrote about it and looked for the death and resurrection of Christ, they weren't serving themselves, but they were prophesied for you. And I found a great verse here where Isaiah says to his people, wait for this event. And understand what he is writing about right here happened, and you're supposed to do what he's saying right here. Isaiah 12, 1 through 6 says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will, and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, 
Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In other words, what we saw at Christmas, what we saw at Easter, what we get to experience today, Isaiah was saying, someday, somebody's going to get all this joy. And you know who gets all that joy? Everybody here who accepts Jesus Christ. Isaiah was writing about us. Isaiah was writing and saying, oh, you're not going to believe it, guys, but someday the Holy One of Israel is going to be there, and they're going to be able to access salvation. They're going to be able to sing praises of joy. They're going to have all of this, and and you don't understand how good it's going to be. And you know what he's saying to us today? You get it. You get what we were writing about. Jesus confirms this when he said in Matthew 13, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to know what it was like to have Jesus on earth. Now, we didn't get to see him directly, Okay, and he's going to talk about we're not the ones that got to see him directly, but we have the results of Jesus coming to earth. We have access to salvation. We no longer have to make sacrifices at an altar that is going to be temporary, looking forward to what is to come. We have what is to come. We have Jesus that is here. We have hope. We have salvation because of him. He ends this line with this. He says, look, angels long to look. Now, I think that there's a, kind of an obsession with angels. I've heard people say, you know, when uh, maybe someone dies, and they say, well, God just got himself a new angel. You know what I say to that? The angels want to be us. The angels look and say, I will, they got to be saved. The, uh, the best el- explanation I've heard is they're the people at the wedding ceremony that are happy for the bride, which is us. And they're looking on, they're clapping, they're cheering for us, but they don't have the first-hand experience of being saved by Jesus Christ. Angels fear, it says they are looking, long to look. They long to look at this great event because they're saying, they got it. What a wonderful thing. We saw it coming, but here it is today. So what do we have? What joy can we have today? You say, I, you know, I'm struggling, Pastor, I don't have a lot of joy. We have joy because we're saved. And if you're not saved today, take this opportunity to accept salvation. We have salvation, we have joy because we have a living hope. A living hope that takes us through this life and to the life to come. We have joy because through our suffering, God is making us better. He is making us more valuable. And he is putting us in the way that we are ready to meet him. And we have joy because we have the privilege of of seeing the fact that Christ has come and Christ has died and rose again for our salvation. Why don't you stand with me today? If our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if you've never made him the master and savior of your life, you've never, you've never said, you know what, God, I want to be forgiven for my sins. Because basically, like we read the story of Bertrand Russell, we are all lost in our sin. We are all lost with the hopelessness of life. 
The only hope that we have is that Christ came, he died, and he rose again. And then we can have our sins forgiven, and we don't have to carry that guilt. Also, we have the hope that we have a future with Jesus. We have a future that can extend in this world and the world to come. We have a living hope in him. And everything in our life that we can experience joy. The Apostle Paul just amazes me because there's never a time when he says, I have found joy in everything. And the guy's talking about, one time they beat me, one time they threw rocks at me, I was shipwrecked, I was this, and I find great joy in Jesus. And you think to yourself, wow. Or I, I still love the, the apostles, that they were beaten, and they run out of the place that they were beaten. They were joyful because they had been found worthy to be persecuted for Christ. And I thought, wow, that's true joy. That the circumstances don't matter. It's who is in charge of your life that matters. Who has made you new who matters. So if you're here today and you need to um, talk to somebody about becoming a Christian, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. If you need someone to pray with you for anything in your life, remember the fact that the Lord died and he rose again so that we can come to him and bring our needs to him for anything that we have. But for the rest of us, let us find joy this Christmas season in these things. Let us find joy in Christ. Your circumstances of your life may not be what they're supposed to, what you want them to be. They may not be. I, I'm not saying that. I mean, again, he's writing to people that have lost their jobs. They have lost their family. They're being pushed out of their life. They've been exiled from their home country. They've been chased off to another country where they don't even speak, they barely can speak a language or things like that. These people are hurting. And he is saying rejoice and find joy in Christ. If, we, if they can find joy in Christ, if Peter can find joy in Christ, if Paul can find it, we can find joy in Christ. And we can do that today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your, your glorious joy that you bring us. We thank you for that pronouncement by the angels, God, that, of the joy that's going to be for all people. The gladness and great joy, God. Lord, it doesn't always feel that way. Because maybe it's, it, but it's more than a feeling, God. It's a, it's a hope, it's a state, God, that we are in because of you. God, no matter what this world brings, we can have joy in you. Because if we're saved, God, if we have your living hope, we have your inheritance, God, there's nothing this world can bring that can take that joy away from us, God. Because you are going to make us better and better every day. And the best years are yet to come, God. We thank you for everything that you do, God. We thank you that we can have hope, peace, joy, and love, God, in this Christmas season and for, for all time, God. We thank you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now go and connect with one another.